Ben, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle show. There's tons to yeah, talk I'm about. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. What is your business model and how did you kind of choose it? Because I, I really like it and I have come to a pretty similar approach to entrepreneurship and building. So how do you conceptualize it? How do you conceptualize it? And how did you stumble upon it? Yeah, select, so um, Fred at its core is a digital product agency. And so really the backbone of our business is just a simple services one, which I really love. Um, spent a lot of time building businesses um, that were not that simple, taking investment and trying to figure out business model as I went. Um, so having the kind of foundation for bread be uh, companies pay us to build good stuff, I really like. It's really straightforward. Um, but on, on top of that, um, we're also really exploring more of a venture model as well. So kind of like a build, building as equity model where we invest our time um, or build at a reduced rate uh, for projects that we see potentially really taking off. So instead of deploying capital right now, we're really focused on deploying our time um, to, to help gain equity in, in different projects. But it's all kind of based on the foundation of a, of a services model that's, that's um, driving it all. My understanding is that this is your second time doing this. Like you've already kind of done one lap of, you know, doing client projects to make money and support yourself, using that to fund your own businesses. And then one of those businesses, the seventh one, taking off and becoming its own thing. And then basically leaving that and starting over and doing it again. What are you doing differently in this kind of second lap of this approach to, I mean, yeah, Careers, uh, so the first really. time we built an agency, um, all of the same um, partners, actually, back in 2010. Um, yeah. Just crazy. Yeah. The same four partners yeah. over 13 um, years. The, the agency was a means to a different end. Um, we found each other, realized that we really liked working together, but didn't have any ideas for us to, to build. So we ended up saying, okay, let's, let's start an agency start taking on projects for money while we figure out what idea we want to build. Because at that point in time, really building a product company was uh, our, our dream. So um, we started Rounded, which is the name of that, that first agency, um, really to uh, fund ourselves to start businesses. Um, and like you said, there were six, six failed ones before, before the seventh, which is called Density, came upon. And um, we, uh, we, I mean, we, we made so many mistakes back then. We were just out of school. Uh, we were learning how to build things and learning how to build a business. Um, so we, but even so we, we built a, you know, revenue positive, um, uh, agency while we were, we we're all still in school. Um, but we, along the way, we would, uh, fund our own time to experiment with ideas. And some were like crazy. Some was like, remember the leap motion? Were you guys around for a leap motion? It was one of the first like uh, um, hand gesture based interfaces. Um, it was like a little device that sat and it was okay. meant to be like a CAD, uh, a, a CAD controller. Um, like a drawing it, was, tablet? it was just your hand. Well, like yeah. it was not quite. I'm yeah, no, it, with was, it was um, yeah. a, uh, a sensor that would measure your hands. We, we would, we, we expanded, we experimented with building that as a means to control UIs that didn't really go anywhere. Um, we built, um, a hospitality, uh, management software back then that didn't really go anywhere. Um, ultimately we ended up 
building density, which I'll, I'll get into. Um, this time around, uh, the agency is not the means to the end. The agency is the business that we want to, to grow. Um, so we took a lot of the learnings from the first time around and, and what we learned building density over the really the eight years or so that we did it. And we're really leaning into the agency as the, the, the founding principle for, for bread. Um, and so for us, that's, it's just like a, it's a much more intentional, uh, and exciting thing that now we're working with, with companies that are our own. Um, so it, and it really, the, the overall thrust of the business isn't that, that different, but how we work with companies is because of that. Yeah. I know it's difficult to be prescriptive. But I think one of the things that's really helpful for, you know, us as podcast hosts and people that listen to podcasts is just like getting a better sense of expectations and like deconstructing like a big blog of mystery, which is like, you know, at some point you were this college student who didn't know what you're doing. And at this point, you're, you're this person now who seems to know what you're doing. And I think like the, one of the most helpful things for me is literally just like an assessment of time of like, you know, at what point, like what is the amount of time that elapsed roughly between, you know, joining forces with these four people, starting a business. And then, you know, product seven actually have traction and like y'all leaning into it. Is that like a product a month for seven months? Or is that like a product every six months for 42 months or, or you know, some irregular cadence? But like even just hearing that, because this is yeah. literally like what I've chosen to do. And like having some assessment of like, it's just it's, it's some basis of comparison. Like that, there's so much ambiguity and uncertainty that we just, in entrepreneurship, we just grasp like totally. any sort of. So we had a process called build and review. Uh, which was where anybody in the company, assuming they had bandwidth on top of their agency work that they had to do, could take two weeks to explore an idea. The majority of those seven fizzled within the two weeks. Because what, what we would do is we would have an engineer or a designer go off and uh, prototype and then pitch to the company. Uh, here's my idea, uh, my, my idea. Here's the market I think it fits within. Does it make sense for us to dedicate more resources? Um, and actually that process, it like really rough prototyping and exploring first before really digging too deep is something that we've, we've continued on along the way. So the majority of them fizzled, I would say two or three of them would last for three to six months working with an external partner that was an expert in the space and then ultimately not panning out because they didn't make sense in the market or they weren't worth the effort that we had to put into them or it just didn't end up interesting us um so it kind of spanned but a, a lot of them were were fizzled pretty quickly so interesting okay one was density density born. was born as a company in 2014 okay, yeah so about four years in. yeah it was about it was about four years in but it was okay. a product it was an idea that we started working on a year prior to that. It wasn't incorporated until until 2014. That makes sense. Why is it that you decided to go back to an agency model? What was the, um, I guess, decision between the four of you after Density mm -hmm. to say, hey, we want to go back to uh, an agency model? Yeah. I think that fits in the chronology. Well, it kind of ties into a little bit into the story with, with Density, but um, ultimately, each one of us came to the conclusion individually that the early phases of building a company, of building a product, are the ones that resonate with us mm. the most. 
It's what we're the best at. It's the most fun. It's uh, the process of wading through the unknown and coming to clarity in the market in that first phase of building a company that excites us the most. Um, so we, we could have built a product again. Um, but we decided that agency was really interesting because it gives us the, the opportunity to use our learnings in that really early phase over and over again. Um, in a way where we get to work across different industries, uh, across different sectors with all different types of founders, sharing our learnings, but also uh, learning ourselves um, about all different types of products and being able to do that without investing a lot of money and risk, but doing it based on a services model was really exciting to us. At this point, are you able to be selective with the ideas that you um, decide to execute on as an agency? Because uh, it seems like, you know, picking the right horse is a very important part of this. And and how do you do that? Yeah, we, we're starting we're starting to be able to. Um, so we uh, we generally like to work on products that we would like to build ourselves. Should we be deciding to, to start another company, we say, is this something that we would be interested in working on? Um, and that can be, that can be for a variety of reasons. It could be that it's interesting technically. We're, we're, we're engineers and we're designers. We like complex things just by nature. Um, so it could be because of that. It could be, it's such a clear need. There's a clear need for this in the, in the world. Um, it could be that we really love the founders. And we believe in them as people. Um, ultimately, I almost see choosing what projects we work on similar to uh, capital deployment. You know, like we're investors, but we're investing our time kind of kind of back to our model a little bit. Um, and up front, the, the, the smaller we are as an agency and the less, uh, you know, the, the smaller our name is by nature, the, the, the smaller our pipeline and the, and the less uh, choosy we can be about projects. We've been very lucky so far with the projects that have come to us through our network that they have really overlapped with projects that we would want want to take. We've turned down four or five so far um, because either it wasn't a good fit uh, in terms of the, the product space, uh, we were overbooked or, or things like that. But for the most part, um, we, we haven't had to be that, that choosy yet, which I think we've been kind of lucky, to be honest. Let's talk about building the pipeline, because that's a big challenge for a lot of people. The, you know, to kind of repeat something we've already said a couple of times, it's a very, in my opinion, straightforward way to like build a career for an entrepreneur that has a lot of the benefits of autonomy and risk management and, you know, getting paid to learn skills, getting paid to meet people, getting paid to like, you know, improve your resume while also having a lot of flexibility and autonomy. Uh, so that's a big first piece for a lot of people is like, specifically on the technical services side, because I think there is genuinely a lot of good content out there for like, if someone's doing this, but as a, as a non-technical person, like there's just the how to start a marketing agency content is is uh, pretty flush on the internet, but how to start a technical services is way different. And I think also like generally people, it's such, not a better angle for everyone because building is difficult, but if you have building, you just have a differentiated way to actually then build your own tools because then you don't have to make a ton of money as a marketing agency and then blow it on developers that you don't know how to manage and how to estimate. How did you approach it then and how do you approach it now? 
because I think a lot of it now yeah. does come to you from your um, So one of the first principles that we have is that we really don't want to be a sales organization. Um, we want to be relatively small um, and we want to we want to grow pretty or organically and have it be true to who we are as partners and as a, as a company. Um, and so that coupled with the fact that um, three out of the four partners are designers and builders, uh, we, for the most part, are fully booked as as partners. So we don't really have that much time to focus on marketing or or growth. So what we really decided, at least from the jump, is that we really, we wanted to leverage our network um, and the relationships that we've built over the course of the past decade or so um, to do work for us on uh, growing growing the pipeline. And um, so very early on, we put in place a referral program, um, one that I think is relatively generous to incentivize our network to help send us projects. It's pretty simple. It's for any warm lead, just a uh, friendly uh, referral. Um, we, for anybody in the referral program, um, give 5% of the first year's uh, revenue from from that project. Um, we've got 25 people or so on that program. And it's awesome. It's it, we, we have people in our lives that would do it regardless, but to be able to pay them for for that and be intentional about it has been has been a really good good call yeah i love that was that how you started in the early days as well or is that something yeah this is this is new um yeah we 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 had a, a lot early on at rounded um we had pretty dedicated business development um that was relatively ingrained in the community and always had had the ear to the ground and we're we're constantly selling, um, and that's something we might get to at some point. Um, I'm actually more excited about uh, about on the for the marketing uh, side of things rather than really focusing on sales this this time around. So I really like leveraging network and incentivizing network, and then uh, figuring out cool ways to 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 market ourselves in ways that are true to to us. And that's, I think, going to land in building side projects and then putting them out there for free and stuff like that. Um, creating creating content about building an agency or about product development, things things in that category. One thing that you, uh, you mentioned on was you said one of our principles. I heard you say that. Are there something you have very uh, articulated at this point? Like you have like a, a 10 bullet point list or like a mnemonic just or is that just you just have like several? And we really, points. yeah. It does sound like a very principled, intentional organization. Yeah, in the, in the uh, we don't have it written down. And it's partly because the partners have been working together for the, the past 13 years. So it's kind of just implicit. implicit code. Um, the, the things that we do have written down is what we want out of uh, like work and life at this point in our in our careers and our and our lives um, and taking some of the learnings from the past, you know, 13 years and applying them the good, the good parts to, to bread. Um, and I think for me, um, staying small is, is one of them. Um, building a company of designers and engineers is, is another and not leaning heavily on sales and, uh, middle management and, 
the process that can that can be bogged down by by those things. Um, we uh, we really want, oh, and actually another one is um, we want Red to be a place where uh, for our employees we want your next gig to be starting a company. So we want to create an ecosystem where people can learn the ins and outs of building a product company um, by doing it with us over and over again, such that it will be a no-brainer for them to start a business as their next venture. That's awesome. That makes me think, Kyle, uh, we just had Jimmy Sony on the podcast, if you know who he is. He just wrote the book, the PayPal Mafia book. I forget what it's called, The Founders, The, the Journey of PayPal. And the, anyway, it's like very a nice, a nice attention at the outset. I love companies that have that goals. This is a boot camp, right? Not in like a, I think boot camp sometimes has maybe some connotations I can see you not agreeing with, but uh, training, university, solid experience yeah. for that next. Yeah, along those same lines, I had a question come to mind about the harmony or disharmony uh, related to those four partners that you've worked with for so long. Because in the book, uh, The Founders by Jimmy Sony, he kind of says that one of their superpowers was the ability to fight really intensely. So I'm just wondering, do you guys have that sort of relationship? And can you kind of paint a picture of, of the four of you uh, and, and how you guys work together? Totally. Uh, yes, we do. The short, short answer. Um, but very rarely do things get contentious. But that, that ability to yell things out is actually a really, really awesome thing and not something you typically get in a working scenario. And I do remember like very specific times where we would get into shouting matches at each other and would always come out hugging and just having a plan to, to move forward. And you typically don't get that, like that, that catharsis through confrontation in a typical work setting. And so be having like a safe space with people that you've worked with for a while and are your friends and really your family um, is huge. Um, and it's a really awesome thing. And I, honestly, I think as soon as all of us started working together, we knew that we didn't want to work uh, with, you know, we, that we would always want to work together. So um, we, uh, uh, you know, I would characterize our relationship now as we're just really good friends that are good at what we do and at good at working alongside each other, um, which is a really, it's just like a, it's a cool, it's a cool thing. It's a fun thing to be a part of. Um, we each have our specialties um, and we each feel like we could rely on the others for everything, you know, that, that, that comes up. Um, and, um, oh, you know, over the, the years, uh, we've, gotten to the point where um we don't really need to talk as much sometimes now just because we have so much trust in in each other um and and what we're building um which is i don't know it's a it's a it's a good thing to be a part of this is a highly functional team I'll go ahead. yeah uh no i i love that i think you know it's obvious to me that that core group is something that you guys and you specifically really enjoy and desire and it's something that you kind of lose as you expand as you sell 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 and need more people and bring on more people and customer success and like all of these different verticals you kind of lose that uh the ability to yell at your friend you know and yeah. um i i have this concept that i want to share and bear with me but it's like 
I imagine a company is like a circle. And as it gets larger, like the principal agent uh, problem expands and expands. And because you start uh, with four people in such a small, tight knit group, and you're all founders, especially with something like um, like density, it, it must have felt really, you know, it was all principles at the beginning. And then as it expands and gets larger, you kind of lose that. Um, it just becomes more and more of an agent problem. Not that agencies are bad, but it's just like you lose the uh, the spark, I guess. Yeah, the um, and like I, I agree with that, and I, I think that the um, the identity shifts over time, which is not always a bad thing. Like co- companies that scale need to shift in identity to survive. And the, you know, the density was actually six, six founders. Um, it was like a little bit of a bigger founding group, but we, um, we, uh, who we, who we were and what the company needed early on was very different from what the company needed when I departed. Um, for example, and the other, the other partners in bread, um, departed. Um, and for us now, yeah, knowing that we, we know what we want to build, um, and and uh trying to stay stay true to that while maintain is is way easier to do when the 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 surface area of that circle is is smaller you personally seem to possess a lot of awareness in terms of like what you want what you like what you don't like has that been a kind of lifelong thing do you have like a pretty regular habit do you have a coach you speak with do you have like a mentor because usually people who have that like there's usually something that is why you have that level of like awareness. And not. Like, I don't know if you like conduct a weekly review or just like your mom gets on the phone with you and says you're unhappy and you're like, you're right, I am unhappy. And I don't know. Where does that, yeah. uh, where does that come two, from? Two things. Um, one, both of my parents uh, were clinical social workers, therapists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm so like, you're, you're not wrong. Um, so that's that's that. Like gro- growing up, it, it was... Uh, and to this to this day, um, everything is so out in the open, talked about, transparent, which is it's awesome. So I think that that was foundational for me. Um, I also went through a period of being really sick when I was eighteen through twenty four or so. Uh, when I first went off to to school, I um, I ended up getting Lyme disease and co infections, but it wasn't diagnosed for three years. Um, so for two years, I actually don't remember anything from a two year period after I got bit by the tick, I had to leave college. Um, and I was basically sleeping 14, 15 hours a day. Doctors didn't know what it was. Um, and eventually was very lucky to find a doctor that, uh, was able to diagnose it as Lyme and, and co-infections and then went through a period of five years of recovery. Um, and fully better today, but I attribute a lot of, um, who I am to that, that process. Cause I went through a period of, I don't know if I can ever work, have a family, anything like that. And then coming out on the other side, um, I just, I don't know, have an appreciation intentionality, um, from it. I don't really think about that, that time in my life anymore on a day-to-day basis, but I do think it still is a, a part of me. Wow. That's, uh, so chronologically, 
when was that? When did you start uh, rounded? Yeah, so I went. Um, I got originally sick in 2006 when I mm-hmm. first went to to school. Um, I went back to school when I was in treatment. Finally, after diagnosis um, in 2009, uh, rounded started in 2010 while I was in in school. That's an incredible story. Uh, it's you don't want to just like dump drive jump straight into okay so your business you know what i mean it's like you gotta have a uh a follow-up there but i appreciate you sharing that lewis you go ahead how important was it to i'm curious like again a lot of the chronology in terms of like how the world was different between you know when you started this business and how someone would start it today in terms of back then versus now it seems like like was it important to be in person with your team were you in person uh, was that a big part of like the initial days? Because I know you recently moved to like a more rural location. I don't know if everyone's in the same rural location as you. Uh, what's been kind of the the impact and your, your now kind of thesis on? Yeah. For someone like existing in something like this, like remote versus totally together. Um, rounded was all in person and would not have worked if if it, if it wasn't in person. And I think part of that is because how fun it was. Um, and it was a it was a big driver of why we kept doing it. It was hard. Um, we were really grinding, especially while we were still taking classes and trying not to drop out of of college while we did it. Um, so being in person, um, I I don't think we could have done it remotely. I think the same is true today for for a business like like Rounded coming out of college like that. Um, I. I feel very strongly that a business can be rated successfully remotely with the right people and with the right process. And a part of that process is getting together regularly and being in the same room. I think that everyday work can be done uh, remotely, but I think the the real hard parts of building a business or the real hard parts about building a, a company uh, benefit so greatly from being around a whiteboard and going out to coffee and uh, staying up late and talking about ideas. Um, that's not to be said that it can't be done without that, but I think it's I think it's pretty important. Yeah, my business partner and I we live together, and it's just so critical for the the pace that we move. And then we had to do or wanted to do right. There's the vocabulary is not too important there, but our quarter two planning session. And we left our apartment, went to the rooftop, uh, new environment, new scenery, pens and paper, no laptops, and the amount of like progress that can be made with just like the most rudimentary setup uh, to like break pace from. We did that over yet another Zoom call with retabs open and click up in the one side and the Google Doc brainstorming and the, the calculator app so we can do some financial models versus just like, nope, just like we can do math on pen and paper. We can write everything down later. We can put it into the software later. We're just like in this new, yeah, it's so key for like this big kind of, again, reassessing our values and like seeing how people emotionally react. So like, I think this is what's important this quarter and like given that emotional reaction, there's just so much subtlety. I, I totally agree. Points. But I, th- I think like a lot of things with building a product or building a business, um, it, it, there are like ebbs and flows to the process. So one of the, one of the, the kind of theories that I, I have, um, is, about the the waxing and waning of uh, pushes like you you don't 
want to consistently be driving a team really hard towards a goal and have that never relent. Having having the ability to all get together, make a big push for a release or some definition or something you're working towards, but then be able to, as a company, breathe for a bit. Even if there are looming things that are needed, there are clients that are not happy, having, having that space to slow down um, is important for a lot of reasons. I think the same is, is, can be said about working remotely and working, working together. Um, so we will go and have basically like an offsite where we intensively work together on defining and, um, working through challenges and then go for months, heads down and, uh, and working, working remotely. And that, that process tends to work for us. What would have made your lives easier if you started earlier? Uh, with kind of present day. Um, what do you, can you, what do you mean? What started bread earlier? No. So like, if you, like what practices, let's kind of like mm. organizational habits or like, you know, maybe it's like, you know, how do you start a referral program from day one? So six months in or something, or if there's like another like habit you have, like a monthly check-in or something like a, a system, like the, uh, the two week, you know, what yeah. pitch and review, like just little things like that, that you came up with over time. Because like if you didn't have that, maybe you would have like spent six mm-hmm. months on bad ideas or something, or just like anything also like that. That like is kind of like a, a neat internal system for. I don't even know what the word for this is. Just internal processes, ha- organizational habits, and systems that just like really made life easier, or made you as a team just be better. I think one of the ones uh, that, yeah. So um, typical typical agencies are kind of built on rigidity. So like a company has a project and the agency really wants to protect their time as much as possible by scoping the heck out of the work, even sandbagging it. Um, And that really immediately goes against the nature, uh, like the give and take nature of building a product. Um, we, uh, We learned that kind of the hard way over over time um, to really, really push towards the retainer model as hard as possible. Um, and we partly do that through explaining that, that it's in the best interest of both the agency and the company that we're working with to be fully embedded for a long period of time. Uh, but also our model suggests that it incentivizes working in the long term as well. Um, so while it's kind of obvious that as an agency, you want the longest engagement as possible. Um, really pushing for that and selling that um, has been really huge because the deeper that we embed with a company, the better the output is going to be, be on on all fronts. It, it actually causes you to shed boundaries um, between the agency and and the company that that you're working with. Um, and you just kind of become a part of the company for the period. And it allows you to really wear the founder hat, um, as a third party, which is really kind of, kind of cool. And so instead of treating projects like projects, we try to treat them as many companies that, that we're building and having the model push towards that was something that I think would have been awesome had we learned that, that earlier. I think that's specifically what caught my interest. Right. So for, I don't know if I'll tell the story beforehand or not in terms of like in an introduction, if I record uh, one, which we'll do on YouTube, but the, 
you know, I found you in, you know, Eric Jorgensen's newsletter and I clicked on it and I was like, oh, you know, I, again, people who are listening to this understand that you're in a similar business in some ways. So it's like, oh, well, here's someone doing it more sophisticated if they're placing ads in newsletters, because that's not something I'm doing. So they, they must be more sophisticated than me. And I look at the website and I'm like, first of all, incredibly straightforward design. Love that. And second of all, I'm like, pricing, so it's clear, so straightforward and like really well architected. And that's what caught my interest in like, you know, reaching out to Eric and wanting to start this conversation. It's just my fascination and like all the, the things going on in my head when I encountered your model. Cause I'm like, here's someone doing what we're doing in a way that just makes so much more sense than how we've been trying to sell it. And I cannot, like, I think all of the, the difficulty of how to get in that question, that was worth it just for like hearing that answer because the, I can just see so clearly experiences on both sides in terms of like companies that we work with on retainer. Like, hey, can you also do this? And it's like, we've never talked about that before, but why not? Because it's like, this is an infinite game, theoretically. Like, I'm happy to like also now include that. Uh, even if it's like potentially long, like doesn't really matter because like, doesn't really matter how long it takes either because there's a level of effort we're happy to put in based on like where this is going over time versus me having to like, and I'm generally like a, a people-pleasing person. You sometimes do a fault and versus with projects that have to like really deliberately be like, you know, part of every proposal that I write is things we're not going to do for you at this stage, things we can talk about later if you give us more money, maybe. And because otherwise, like we just get, you know, it, it's about incentives to both parties and someone who's naturally like, like to be nice and like set features. It's just not a good model for me to have to like force myself to change my way of being to be like, actually, that's no, that's no, that's no, that's no, that's no, 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 no. And just like really creating a lot of like unpleasant conversations that could be avoided. Uh, so the difficulty of, I think one thing you followed as well is like, make it sound like it's everything's framing it as a win psychologically. It's like, here's why it's a win for you to, to go with this retainer model. Here's why it could actually cost less. Here's why, you know, our relationship will be easier. And now that I'm like in the sales cycle where I've have follow up work, like people being like, Hey, you know, you built us a system a few months ago. We want to add this to it. And I'm like, okay, now let me, uh, stick you another bill that just like is not going as smoothly as if we were just let's just be partners yeah it, to, to underscore that on um on most of our projects we end up uh working on things totally different than were defined at the outset um it could be like originally we were kind of planning on building a mobile application for example and we end up helping them build an engineering team um, and that's, that's kind of our, our original slogan was founders for hire. Um, we, we moved away from that because we, as we scale, we don't want to suggest that only, you know, the founders are, uh, available, um, to, to, to work, but, um, it's, it's something that's really important to us. And like, the other thing is that kind of goes hand in hand with that is the process for building a product it's going to be different for every team building it and every market and whatever you're, you're building. Um, and I think trying to go through this rigid process of creating a really strict scope and then sticking to it the entire, the entire time because two parties agreed on a document, uh, is wild. It's crazy. It's not how product actually works. It's super messy. Um, like you're, you're going to two weeks into experimenting with something, it's possible you're going to have an idea that changes everything. Having to go back and reframe a document every time that happens just doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Um, the challenge with this is the sale, like getting to actually work with a company for six months 
uh, is requires a lot of trust building up front if you don't know them already. So that's what we've been kind of working on. How do we how do we build trust really quickly and early in the process so that the embedded model makes makes sense um, to to the company? And so one of the things that we do is every single project always always starts with a discovery period, and that is essentially us uh, trying to deeply understand the market that you're building with, and then your idea and uh, doing research, framing the product, going over the process, coming up with early concepts, sketches, wireframes, prototypes, uh, risk assessment on the engineering side of things, and presenting basically a go-to-market plan. Um, And then using that to basically say, this is what it's like to work with us. This is what it's like to work with you. Does it make sense for us to do this? Um, and so, so far, that's been effective at, at building trust and being able to move into a longer term engagement. Yeah. Now, is that paid discovery? Yeah. At the same effective rate, roughly, as the actual project? It's at the project. Discounted discovery. Um, typically between 40 right. to 80 hours based on the scope, the size of the, the project. Yeah, I'm thinking of something that, you know, I've, uh, AI chatbot proposal out for just like a, a custom build for a team that wants one and having a tightly scoped GPT themed anything right now, it's like, you know, if they take two weeks to decide, they could release GPT 4.1, which like all of a sudden includes X, X feature by default, which we would no longer have to, like it's, uh, and I, I see that continuing to, to escalate in importance as just like the order, the rate of change in technology changes in terms of like tools that are available and you know, something that, you know, Kyla, the, the product that we had showed you, the instant chapters, uh, I don't know if like three, five turbo when I had the idea was like fully released versus not. So it's like, oh, well, you know, it was every run of the app cost us dollar now it costs us 10 cents. And I was like, okay, we can totally, and Kyle's like, hey, aren't you guys going to use the new model that's 10 times cheaper and just as good? And we're like, oh yeah, I guess we should do that. And so it's just like how quick we think, not saying that you're only building AI tools, but like if, you know, you had a spin up a virtual machine and like they changed the price for uh, the amount of like a terabyte was a dollar a month. And now it's, or I don't the, the, the things are just changed so quickly that it just makes sense to be flexible. Yep. You paid exactly. What you got, Kyle? I do want to ask about density and kind of walk through uh, what that idea originally was, what it became and kind of how your role uh, developed over those eight years. It's a, it's a long period of your life. Totally. Um, yeah. So, uh, one of our, uh, other partners at the time and the now CEO of, of density, um, I remember him coming into a room and very excitedly telling us that, uh, he figured out that how to count people in, in a room, uh, using any, just a router, um, that could count the number of devices in in a space and uh we were like cool what what do do we want to do with that and um then we started thinking about it and the ideas were just like flowing um the way that we first tested it was so in syracuse the winters are crazy um you know a couple feet of snow on the ground and our favorite coffee shop was a half mile away uh we could open up our phone and check the weather 
but we couldn't open up our phone and see how busy the coffee shop was and know whether it was worth trudging through that much snow, whether there was going to be a long line or not. Um, so we just asked them, could we install this, this little router in your, uh, in your, in your space? We won't know whose phones they are, but we'll know how many there, there were. And as soon as we installed it and then built a little API for it and opened up our phone and saw how many people were in the coffee shop, uh, it was just kind of a, a, an, oh, wow moment for, for us. Um, and we quickly started talking to businesses in the area, thinking about, um, you know, how can you, judge the efficacy of a physical marketing campaign and see how uh, foot traffic to a space changes. Um, and we very quickly realized that anonymity was so important to the space. And even though we didn't know whose phone it was, we knew that it was unique. And so we quickly decided to move away from that as a means of tracking um, and decided to build our own door counter because there turns out there were no good door counters, even though technology has been out, uh, since the eighties. Um, so us software developers started prototyping with hardware and, um, uh, quickly learned that it's very hard to build uh, a door counter that's both accurate and anonymous. But, um, we, we ended up, uh, forming it into an idea, um, and getting into the launch festival in San Francisco, um, that's, that's led by Jason Calacanis, uh, ended up winning a category there, getting early seed stage funding. And then it kind of all spiraled from, from that. Um, but ultimately the premise was we want to know how busy a space is and, uh, build an API around it so people can actually develop applications on top of that as, as a data point. Um, and very early on, it took us a long time to get to, uh, not trying to go, uh, too shallow and wide, but actually, uh, figuring out where we should go deep as it, cause it can be applied to so many different, um, applications and, um, corporate real estate was the one that really stuck. So being able to measure, uh, your, uh, office space building portfolio, um, understanding how space is being used, both from a an employee experience perspective, but also a real estate portfolio perspective. Knowing if you have a right-sized portfolio, it's your second largest cost uh, shortly after your, uh, your human, you know, your staffing, your employee cost. Um, so ended up ultimately... Uh, raising over $200 million, grew, grew the team to about 200. And, uh, I, my role, it was kind of, it could be kind of be defined as the thing that we knew the least about. I would get thrown at it, learn it, prototype it, and then hire somebody way smarter than me and then build a team around it. So I kind of led R and D from, from the beginning. Early on, that was uh, building the early prototypes of the device, the API, uh, and the interfaces that would consume that data. Um, I took a computer vision course online once we moved to a sensor that actually created a 3D um, spectrum of, uh, of light when people walked through a door frame. I sat in uh, coffee shops in San Francisco and manually counted to try to 
validate the accuracy of the algorithms that we would make. Um, I ran our software team, uh, grew that a bit, um, defined how we hire at Density. Um, and then ultimately all of those things I ended up passing off to people that were way smarter than me in that particular, um, that particular, um, skill set or, or, um, you know, area. And I learned that I just really like learning about new things, learning quickly, prototyping, asking the right questions, knowing when to throw things away, and then knowing when to lean into them and help, help the organization build, build around them. And, uh, it got to the point where I had to kind of decide, do I want to be on the executive team of this now relatively large company or do I want to keep building new things? And it was very clearly the latter for me. And the, the, the point when density got to a place where I didn't feel huge amounts of guilt leaving because I knew that it would still be standing, uh, without me was a really, it was a cool, it was a cool time, but it was a journey, journey to get there. Yeah. I'm sure we could do a full hour just on, on density and everything there, but that was really awesome summary. I want to do, unless you have any specific follow-up questions, I want to do just some bonus questions now. Uh, this is going to steal from Kyle's plate. Not that we discussed each other's questions beforehand, but what are some interesting things in prop tech that like, I'm sure you've countered some like interesting things over the years in prop tech, anything like on the horizon or just that like the average person doesn't know about, I guess like in the same theme in terms of like spaces and, and interesting things going on. Yeah. Like, like, um, so one is this concept of, um, black space that's actually usable. That is not just like quote unquote, uh, good co-working space, I think is really cool. So the ability to use data to modify a space in near real time, shift conference room walls, uh, create like smaller working spaces or larger, work, larger working spaces based on the needs of the actual usage of a space, I think is really cool. Uh, we're now, yeah, we're getting super cool. there in terms of data. COVID has kind of forced us into it a little bit more because of hybrid work, which I actually think is a good forcing function. Uh, and it leads to some cool innovation. Um, also, um, I, the more and more, uh, hard physical devices are connected, um, in, in really cool, cool ways. So moving away from corporate real estate and more into like residential, um, uh, like not real estate, but like property management and, uh, like, uh, resident experience and things like that. Um, we're now getting to the point where physical keys actually starting to become obsolete, which is, which is kind of cool. Like working with, with digital locks in a way that actually makes sense, being able to send a digital key to somebody that you're, uh, that you're friends with and want to send like, Hey, you can access the building for six, six hours today between these hours because your friend and you're coming to hang out or you're somebody that's working out in my apartment and stuff like that. Um, those are all things that are actually getting to the point where they're both secure and viable and, and usable, um, which is kind of cool. I noticed that you really like small keyboards. Why do you, why do you like small keyboards and which one's your favorite? That's a, that's a good question. We could do two hours on, on that. Uh, I 
I like small keyboards because it combines a lot of my hobbies. I like building electronics things. Um, I type all day. I, I program. Um, I, um, and so I, I really love building physical things. And so I've kind of channeled that into keyboards. Um, I, here, I'll show you one. That's why folks are gonna yeah. listen on YouTube. Can't um, see the can't see the demo. I use oh, you like, oh, uh, yeah. I typically keyboard. use nice. a split keyboard that is thirty keys total. Um, so like, uh, I would say like the laptop is like sixteen seventy. Okay, or or so. Um, okay. So I I yeah yeah. So I design um, the the keyboard layout both like physically and then um, I customize where like what all the letters are to optimize how it works for my hand. So it's it's kind of like a fun engineering problem, but also it's super comfortable. Um, and I'm typing for however many hours a day. So I get to combine something that's fun to build that I actually benefit from. Uh, and there's cool communities around it too. So it's been a, a fun thing during the pandemic too. What? Uh, yeah, I'm a cold Mac Good guy. Job. I use cold Mac. So... Uh, non qwerty I use, for people who I use the, a derivation I, of cold Mac, cold Mac called App Mac, which puts the E on the thumb. Okay. Because it's the most used letter. So you have your space on your left thumb, E on your right thumb. Uh, and it helps balance the rest of the layout a lot, but it's kind of wild to get used to. Oh, yeah. as opposed to E on yeah. the middle finger on the right hands. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard of the brand Mini Katanas. That's like a, a big exploding e-commerce brand, but you could you could ask Put up a sister company. I think mini katanas. I could pull it up in store leads. Uh, this is like a lead generation tool for e-commerce data. But mini katanas, man, they are just printing right Please. now. So maybe you can just say, uh, and a little startup can be mini keyboards. We've talked about katanas.com. According to store leads, estimated Ooh. four million a year from mini katana.com, three hundred twenty a month. And my what I know about friends of mine who actually have stores that I've shown them the store leads data, and they should tell me what their actual books are. Uh, store really? leads tends to underreport. Where it tends to be delayed, it tends to be delayed data. So it's like a few months back. So if they're growing, it, it, assuming they're growing, it's underreported because it's delayed. I'd have to convince, yeah. I'd have to convince the other partners to, to build keyboards, but um, I would be super into that. That'd be sweet. Uh, I had another question. You mentioned, so I mean, I have two questions I could ask really. Uh, we can get to both of them because why not? So one is a lot, you do a lot of programming and you love prototyping, and one is hobby electronics. So one question about each of those. What's like your rapid prototyping stack for just like a, a software idea? And then also like I'm curious to hear about another uh, hobby electronic project. Yeah, totally. So um, software wise, what's really cool is the prototyping stack these days has been converging with the production stack, which I'm really excited about. Um, so I actually choose, I typically choose the same thing if I'm building something really quickly or building something that needs to live for a long time. Um, it really is. Yeah, yeah, it it really is. So, uh, generally we err on the side of building, uh, in full TypeScript, both on front end and back end. Um, it's incredible to use the same language across the stack and destroy some of the boundaries that have been created over the years with server versus, versus client. Um, and that just increases productivity so, so much. Um, so recently the favorite that I've been I've been choosing um, is a stack called T3, um, and it is 
It is. One of the Jesus Pipe scripts. Uh, Tailwind and TRPC. Um, and so it's, it's really cool. It was built on Next, Next.js. Um, and mm-hmm. the, uh, the premise is, uh, TRPC is a, um, is the API layer. It's all essentially defined by TypeScript, uh, types and it allows you just to create functions as, as routers for the backend that you share with the front end. So it feels like but a, a little, style, a little bit, it's sort of, um, but it's, it's really, it, it, uh, it kind of breaks down the boundary of, uh, server and client in that it feels like you're just sharing functions across, across the two. So you're actually working in the same repo for all things. They're deployed serverless to the same, uh, hosting platform. And so it, you, it doesn't, it feels like everything is working in tandem, rather two things parallel that you need to keep communicating with, with each other. Um, so that's been, that's been really fun to see, to see progress. Um, and then I, um, I have to ask Sean about that. My partner. She's yeah. With the it's, T3 it's good stuff. And then, um, on the hardware side of things, honestly, I got a lot of hardware out of my system with, with density. Um, so keyboards have been my foray back into that. Um, I've always been interested in building instruments and never really seen, seen that through. Um, so I want to start exploring building a t- guitar, um, and learning deeply about the, the electronics uh, portion of that and potentially even starting to build some, uh, like modulation pedals and things like that. I really love seeing how the physical can impact the the digital um and vice versa and it's kind of a really cool medium for that i've only ever built one like genuine hardware project uh, actually with my same business partner uh we built this like three years ago i would call it the handstand timer and it was just a wooden block uh with a embedded with pressure sensors and a timer uh, so that you could like auto time your handstands. That's so cool. And that's so cool. That's pretty, pretty neat. And we, we built a couple like functional prototypes, uh, but we never spun up the, the store around it, but it was, it was super fun. It was really, you know, we was at an Airbnb that for the summer and we bought all this like power equipment and we were just like sanding down boards in the driveway. This Airbnb. I love it. We so confused. Like this is an Airbnb. Why are people act like turning an Airbnb into a wood shop? That's, was, that's so cool. And we're, uh, we're really coming memory. into. We have been, and, and it's going to keep increasing a really cool age where fabbing, uh, electronics gets more and more inexpensive. Mm-hmm. Um, both on the, the uh, like electronic side and PCB fabbing and obviously with 3D printers, um, the, the ability to build cases without building molds is, is absolutely massive. Um, so like I will, uh, like tweak, uh, a PCB design for a keyboard or something like that, send it to a PCB vendor that does small runs for cheap. Their goal is to incentivize big partners to build huge runs. But for me, getting like five sets of a P- PCB for 20 bucks and seeing a process of like going from uh, a KiCad program and, and developing something uh, like the, the actual circuitry to having it in my hands in like two to three weeks is really, really cool. Uh, it's really cool. Kind of ridiculous. 
Yeah, I have two questions. Kyle, any final uh, bonus questions on your side? A little side? different. Um, Amazing. I, I read this thread about, and I sent it to Lewis, about high agency people and how they... Mm. I didn't know what you said, Lewis. What did you say? That was a good thread. It was by George Mack. We've, uh, we have someone right now that's actually helping us retrieve resources that we mentioned. We used to not have that. So I'm trying to make their job slightly easier. By being right. Like George Mack, high agency. Uh, I think it was 14 things. That's, that's not keywords to help whoever out. <laughs> um, Shout out. And in that, it talks about how they have like unique and interesting um, hobbies, habits, uh, media recommendations. And you seem like that type of person to me. So the question, there's two questions. One, what historical figure is uh, somebody that you look up to or is interesting to you? And two, what is your favorite book? Honestly, not one is like really coming to mind or or resonating. Um, I, to be honest, like I, I, I actually, I don't know that I really have one in particular that I've like uh, really grab it like a, a single human that i've really gravitated towards like i do a good amount of reading and i like to learn about individuals um but rarely do like does anyone stick out in in my mind so i'll basically just go through you know like isaacson's like all of his uh biographies and find them super interesting um I, but not one not like one in particular is really is really sticking out um in terms of in terms of book um, I don't know why I'm drawing blanks on, on, on this. It's such an easy question, but, um, yeah, I think yeah. We I beat you up for a, too, a too we, we went to, we, we went, no, we, it's we, not good. We, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, we, we entered deep hacker mode. State this is the brainwaves of hacker mode and the brainwaves of, uh, student mm-hmm. history mode. Uh, I think so. Yeah. They, they, they don't, they don't jive well with each other. Right now I'm reading, um, uh, Lonesome Dove. Um, which is like an epic old Western, uh, book, which is very transportative. I've never been interested in Westerns, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm kind of digging deep into that. And I kind of do that with books. I, I like for them to take me out of my reality, uh, a bit and it can be in any, any direction. Um, and yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing now. Yeah. That was a high agency answer. So I think we're, we, we got, we, Got what we were looking for, just in a different way. The honestly was from the definition right. of high agency. Um, that was a yeah. I've been reading answer. or listening to Empire of the Summer read. Moon, which I guess is becoming more and more popular now, and maybe. Uh, but that is taking me out of my uh, my world because it's like about um, settling the Western frontier during Manifest Destiny and like getting killed by Indians, and it's like insane. So. Anyways, that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I have to look it up. I've been in that fantasy rabbit hole in a minute. Well, not since like September. I just went too deep. I go too deep on things, so I'm taking a little, a little breather. But I'm trying to think if there's anything else. But I mean, this has been really fantastic. Uh, I think this is just super. We covered all the ground. I think I chopped up my outline. I got plenty to work with, so I'm uh, thoroughly pleased with this conversation. Uh, ben, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where, if people are, so the one thing we didn't totally ask is like, who is a a good fit? Right. I don't want a bunch of people asking you to to prototype their uh, app for helping your neighbors do their laundry or whatever. I don't want you getting those leads. But uh, who's like actually genuinely a good fit for for what you do? Like the types of people, and where are you most active on the yeah. internet? If you're uh, comfortable. 
So, um, I, I think that our sweet spot where it really makes the most sense for us to work with, with a company while we, we work with like seed stage to enterprise companies, um, coming out of the seed stage, having funding to really lean into an idea and deep, dig deep, I think is probably the most impactful time that you could meet us. Um, when you don't quite have a product process, an engineering team, and you want a shortcut to getting those things without taking risks on early hires, uh, that's when I would say it's like the the best time to to work with us. Um, but generally, whenever you have something that needs to get built, don't exactly know how to do it, and want people that have built companies before to come in and, and autonomously help you. Um, and impart that process along the way. Um, I think that that would be a good fit. Um, I, uh, in terms of how how to find me, um, I am on Twitter on at Ben Redfield. Uh, generally speaking, I'm terrible at social social media though. Uh, the best way to get in touch is to reach out at Ben at MadeByBread.com over email. Or if you're listening to this far enough in the future. Then at mini keyboards, e-commerce, extravaganza. I'll go buy it now. .com. So <laughs> the forward domain name. Uh, one thing I'll make one more comment. One thing I've really internalized a, uh, a learning from a lot of podcasts is I think just in general, like one of the things we like to accomplish in terms of like things we trying to teach ourselves, the things we're trying to like also teach whoever listens is just like taking the, the big, big, big idea of entrepreneurship and like unpacking it into like more, again, like timelines that like actually make sense and like are believable and like contextualized. And another thing, like a, a big theme I've seen in terms of like niching is, you know, a business that gets people from A to Z, right? It gets you from point A to point B uh, and stories that are like all about zero to hundred. But I love the stories of like, or just, I see a lot of success with people who just have a really clear story of like, actually it worked for people from 35 to 55, right? It's like proceed stage, you know what you're doing, people are interested, but you need to get here. But you're not 35 to hundred, but you're not zero to 35. And I've just like, we've had a lot of really interesting people that are like are different, uh, different places on that spectrum. And like when they define it really well, I just think it like leads to good outcomes. So that's been like a personal takeaway uh, from this conversation. A lot I of love that. Ones. Well, this has been a blast. Thank you so much. I think we'll, we'll stop Sound. recording here.